This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from the state capital of Tallahassee. First and foremost today, our congratulations to Ron and Casey DeSantis. Turns out the first lady is preggers. Uh, before we uh, start, I want to uh, uh, wish a happy 10-year anniversary to my great wife, our wonderful first lady, uh, Casey. Um, And uh, we're excited about um, um, expanding the tribe at the governor's mansion, which is uh, <laughs> going to happen next spring. So stay tuned on that. Also, oh, yeah, nice. we put it out on, uh, on, I think, on one of the social social sites. And so, uh, so we've got uh, a daughter. It's under. Th- it's going to be three at the end of November. Our son's almost a year and a half. And then the the, the new run of the litter will be uh, will be next spring. So we're excited. <laughs> The governor made that announcement in Bay County, where he unveiled the first in a series of grants to help towns like Mexico Beach hit hard almost a year ago by Hurricane Michael. As impeachment talk swirls in Washington, the governor launches a new fundraising campaign to defend Donald Trump, and the author of a new book on the confirmation battle over Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh weighs in on the political circus in D.C. We'll be sitting down today with Jim Rossiga, veteran Tallahassee reporter and resident legal expert for Florida politics. We'll get Jim's take on the appointment of a new chief judge at DOA and the latest legal machinations at the Capitol, including next month's special session that will decide whether Scott Israel should be reinstated as sheriff of Broward County. We'll also have your daily calendar of events and the latest installment in our continuing series on Florida Man. But first, an homage to Free Enterprise. Florida is a great place to live and do business. Let's keep it that way. By supporting the Florida Competitive Workforce Act, legislators can do the right thing. To remain competitive globally, we must be a welcoming state for everyone to live, work, and play. 11 Fortune 500 companies, 35 major employers, and hundreds of small businesses support the act. And 68% agree it's wrong to discriminate in employment, public housing, and accommodations. Go to floridacompetes.org. Tell your legislator to hear the Florida Competitive Workforce Act. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Friday, September 27. Governor Ron DeSantis, who owes his election to Donald Trump, is trying to raise money to help fight the president's impeachment. The Orlando Sentinel reports DeSantis is backing the president by pleading for donations to what he calls a presidential protection fund in an email blasted out by the Florida GOP. DeSantis is supporting Trump from afar, and frankly, he's kind of glad he's not in the eye of the storm. People ask me, do you miss being in Washington? <laughs> no, never. <laughs> I mean, it's such a charade. They do the same stuff over and over again. Look, I just wish they'd focus on issues affecting the American people. And they're so preoccupied with investigations, and they're not not focusing on what the American people actually want to get done. So I would just say... You know, I get like, you know, you go on, you, you make, a, make a scene, you can get on cable news, you can do all this. But man, focus on some issues that really matter. Republicans in Florida, including Senators Rick Scott and Marco Rubio, are defending Trump following release of that memo about the disputed phone call. Scott issued a statement saying there is nothing in this transcript to warrant impeachment. There's a lot of talk out of Washington about impeaching the president because of his dealings with the president of Ukraine, but Molly Hemingway isn't buying it, at least not yet. She's a senior editor at the online magazine The Federalist and a contributor to Fox News. She's also the co-author of a book called Justice on Trial, The Kavanaugh Confirmation and the Future of the Supreme Court. In a talk with members of the Capitol Tiger Bay Club in Tallahassee, Hemingway said the whole whistleblower issue seems to be unfolding in much the same way as the allegations of collusion with the Russians. I have looked at the whistleblower complaint. I have noticed how it's rolling out in the media. I have noticed which reporters are doing it. 
which people inside are involved, what this whistleblower complaint looks like. And it looks basically just like that dossier, that Russia dossier that was first reported in January of 2017. Allegations, insinuations, I've heard this from someone and someone told me this and it's kind of like a, a map for how to do a special counsel probe or how to do some type of investigation. Because it's the same people rolling out the same operation, my standard for what they have to demonstrate before I even begin to buy into it is extremely high. And to say that they haven't met it would be a big understatement. That has nothing to do with whether or not Donald Trump will be impeached, by the way. I have long argued that he will be impeached for the crime that he committed, which is winning the 2016 election. A lot of people view that as a crime and everything you can kind of see for the last couple of years. And I totally get it if people don't like it. It's just sometimes you win elections and sometimes you lose elections. And sometimes you have to deal with the fact that someone you really strongly don't like as president or governor or senator or whatnot. But the impeachment that might happen seems to be an even thinner read than what we saw with Russia collusion or obstruction. And now it's, he did foreign policy I didn't like. And the other thing that will be interesting is if it is pursued, having done a lot of research on the Russia collusion hoax, a lot of it is centered in Ukraine. Ukraine was a country that has been reported to have actually meddled in the 2016 election on behalf of Hillary Clinton. Really better to say they worked with the Democratic National Committee. So it'll be interesting if we decide to turn our attention to Ukraine and look at how, what their role was in 2016 meddling. Hemingway also has a problem with the way the media is dealing with the Trump administration. She says many of the mainstream outlets have abandoned their traditional role of informing the public and are more interested in serving as advocates for one side or the other. I do not have kind words about, in general, the way our media are approaching most stories. And just to take it completely out of the Kavanaugh scenario, obviously our media are extremely hostile to President Trump. And that's fine, I guess, even though it's not what I would want their role, for them to see their role as. But by the way that they approach him, by treating him as something other than like a president, they end up hurting their own efforts to go against him. They say outlandish things that he can easily point to as fake. And you know, counterintuitive as it might be, the best way to take him on is to just report accurately about what is going on. Not to get emotional, not to get political, not to go full head into activism, but just, just report the news is the best, report the actual facts is, in my view, a much better way to, if you want to oppose him, to oppose him. And we see just this, this like, willful departure from journalism, reporting facts accurately into advocacy. And I think that's actually very harmful for the republic. We don't have shared information sources that we can all go to. We can't trust what we're getting in major corporate media. And that's, you know, I believe with Thomas Jefferson, he said that if he had to choose between um, having a government or having newspapers, he would choose newspapers because this was the way that the populace kept informed. We don't have really good journalism that's keeping people informed. We have journalism that's just doing advocacy. And advocates are fine and they're good, but there's a role for advocacy and there's a role for just accurately presenting information. So when it comes to a Supreme Court battle, you can just see it from the very beginning that if it's a, you know, if it's a nominee from a certain person, they're gonna get trashed, they're gonna dig for dirt, and it's that one-sided nature of that advocacy that also makes, that I think corrodes the process. And also we have a problem with journalists not being that well-educated and not seeking to be well-educated. 
they talk about personal stuff from high school because they know that issue well. They don't talk about someone's legal reasoning or opinions because they don't know it, they're not educated, and they don't seek to learn about these things or the actual impact that someone might have on the court. Hemingway also told members of the Tiger Bay Club she and her co-author found no evidence to support the sexual assault allegation made by Christine Blasey Ford against Kavanaugh. That doesn't mean they don't believe her, they just didn't find any evidence. Governor Ron DeSantis travels to Mexico Beach to announce more aid for a town nearly wiped off the map by Hurricane Michael. It comes from a pot of money set aside by the legislature earlier this year. One of the things we did during this legislative session is we secured $25 million in funding for a state grant program to support the communities affected by Hurricane Michael. So I want to thank the legislature for doing that. Um, I was happy to support that um, as governor. So today is the first um, grant that we're going to be handing out from that pot, and it's going to be right here in Mexico Beach. Um, we, um, we knew that some of the local services were in jeopardy, um, and so we saw an opportunity to support the Mexico Beach Fire Department, as well as the police, uh, some law enforcement operations. So this $1.1 million grant uh, represents a lifeline to be able to keep this fire department up and running because uh, it's important to the community. And so those folks, the salaries, some of the uh, other, other needs are funded, um, and, and I think that's important for the, for the city to, to understand that that's happening. A million bucks doesn't sound like much, but this is just part of the aid from the state and federal government. Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Petronas almost lost it as he talked about the recovery effort and other efforts to provide affordable housing so people don't have to move out of the area. Last year, pre-Hurricane Michael, about nine, nine of these applications were filed for people to find affordable housing here in Northwest Florida. This year, the program has already used every single application. Since Hurricane Michael, over 350 applications have kept, have kept our people here. And um, for people that don't live in Northwest Florida, they may not necessarily understand the importance of that, but to me, that means my neighbor's not moving away. That means our kids are staying in our schools. And that means that, that, that we will come back with the same people, just with a new coat of paint. As for the governor, well, let's just say he's got his fingers crossed because we're only about halfway through the hurricane season. I hope that we're out of the woods um, on this, but I can't tell you that. And I hope we don't get any, any storms this year. Um, you know, I did a trade mission to Israel in May. And uh, we prayed at the Western Wall, and my prayer, written prayer, was for no hurricanes. Um, when Dorian was bearing down on Florida, a lot of people said, the God, don't listen to the governor. Well, <laughs> well, have you ever seen a hurricane stop on a dime and go 90 degrees to the north? That's all I'm saying, so we got lucky. But the point is, is that, you know, we, we did dodge a bullet there. Um, we're still in the season. Michael obviously happened um, in October. And, um, and so just, just make whatever preparations you need to make across the state. And, and I'm hoping that, that, that we don't need to do it. The governor says he'll be back in Bay County next month to mark the one-year anniversary of Hurricane Michael. I'm the guy you hear every day on this podcast, but Sunrise is so much more than just one old radio dude. We have top-notch reporters throughout the state, including Jacksonville, Tampa Bay, Naples, Gainesville, and South Florida. And here in Tallahassee, we've got Jim Rossica, a journalist with a law degree. Welcome to Sunrise, Jim. 
Thank you, Rick, for having me. I'm another old dude. I'm just not a radio dude. Oh, okay. Well, you've got the radio voice going there, and you've got the scruffy beard. That's half the battle. That is. Thank you. All right. Now, of course, you cover legal issues for the uh, Florida politics, and I don't even want to get into why you abandoned the law for journalism. It just seems like one of those negative, you know, that, that's like pushing it into the red financially. But I needed more positive energy in my life, Rick. Okay. From journalism. Yeah, from journalism. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We'll be back. Yeah. All right. Well, you, you cover the legal stuff. You cover all the nuances. And one of the things that's been going on lately that you covered closely was Jesse Panuccio's speech to the Federalist Society at the FSU Law School. Panucci, of course, the former head of the Department of Employment Opportunity, DEO, also a former general counsel for the governor. And uh, for a brief time, he was an assistant attorney general up in Washington, D.C., and he talked about marijuana policy. What, did, what was your takeaway from Jesse's speech? So uh, this week, Jesse, as you said, was at the FSU Law School. <clears throat> he was... Uh, at a speech that was sponsored by the Federalist Society, Tallahassee Lawyers Chapter, Federalist Society, which is a a group of uh, conservative-minded lawyers. And Jesse was there to make the argument that Florida and other states who have legalized medical marijuana, uh, states who have legalized marijuana outright, we don't call it recreational pot anymore, we call it adult Adult use use, marijuana. Let's parse the nuance there. Exactly. That basically they have it all wrong because everyone forgets, uh, in his words, federal law is the supreme law of the land. You mentioned the supremacy clause in the United States Constitution, and the federal law still says marijuana is illegal. It is a Schedule One drug under the Controlled Substances Act. Which means they have found no medicinal use for it at all. It's that is essentially one. correct. As I remember, Schedule One is also the domain of fentanyl, ah, which yes. I'm sure you're familiar with. Mm-hmm. So that's its neighbor in, in Schedule fentanyl, One. Fentanyl, heroin, fun things like uh, that. That is also right. Yeah. So uh, it doesn't stop Florida, though. It hasn't stopped nine other states from legalizing. It hasn't stopped 15 other states from decriminalizing. So I'm kind of wondering, are we going to hit some kind of great stone wall here where eventually everyone will be committing an illegal act or the federal government will just finally say, eh, maybe we were wrong? Well, and, you know, there's been talk about whether uh, Trump is going to finally uh, have his great turnaround and and uh, press to have marijuana descheduled or rescheduled uh, in some way. Florida has already kind of done that with this drug called uh, Epidiolex, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, really? okay. um, which was actually rescheduled by uh, under Attorney General Pam Bondi. It is a drug that has marijuana uh, in it, essentially. And has some medicinal use. And has medicinal use. Yeah. And so that, that prompted Pam Bondi, when she was Attorney General, uh, I think it's the only drug that has marijuana in it that is uh, legal in Florida now. Okay. If you were a betting man, would you bet on any of the three marijuana amendments that are going around the state right now to actually make it onto the ballot? Let, I mean, not talking about passing, just make it to the ballot. I think that the make it legal Florida amendment, which has the most unfortunate acronym, acronym <laughs> probably has the best chance to get all of the signatures it needs because it's, it's got the political and financial firepower that's, that's needed behind it. Did you get yours in the mail yet? I did not. Uh, I got one at home and one at the office. Wow. Yeah. You got a deuce. I do. I do. So I'll have to pass them on to someone. All right. Now, speaking of legal things, something else that happened earlier this week, the governor cabinet hiring a new chief judge for the Department of Administrative Hearings. 
Now, it, it's called doa, which sounds like something Homer Simpson would say if he had a little stutter going on at the end of his do. But it's actually an important agency, is it not? It is. It is. It is an. Ex, it is a hearing. A, it's, they are hearing officers who act. I think, as I may have put it, as a first check against the executive branch agencies. Um, the uh, issue, if you want to call it that, has been that uh, the gentleman who has been in charge of DOA, I think since 2003. Yeah, since the Jeb Bush is a, is a Jeb Bush yeah. appointee. Um, this, the story that uh, he told me was that uh, the governor's chief legal advisor, uh, Joe Jequo, uh, had a conversation with him and said, you know, the governor wants to make a lot of changes uh, and asked him if he would consider stepping down. And uh, the gentleman whose name is Bob Cohen said, hey, you know, this is I know this is not a lifetime appointment. This is not a sinecure for me. And if, uh, you know, the, the state's uh, chief executive officer wants me gone or, or is, is his, his chief legal guy is hinting that that's the case, then I, I'll go and do something else. Yeah. And it was his call. I mean, that, absolutely nothing improper about that, like with the removal of the FDLE guy a few years ago. Because this was solely under the governor, wasn't it? Uh, DOA is not – the Division of Administrative Hearings is under the State Administration Commission, which is, ah. which is another name, another, another legal entity that is the governor and the three cabinet members. So that's why you needed a, a, a vote of the governor and cabinet sitting as the Administration Commission I see. to hire the gentleman that they hired at the cabinet meeting this week. And, and that's, I, I will admit that I've been remiss in my reporting uh, for forgetting to mention that he also needs to be confirmed by the state Senate. It's a position that is state Senate confirmation required. I got you. Now, were you surprised that we only had two applicants for that post? I mean, I thought it was a fairly prestigious position. I will tell you that a lot of people, I, I probably have been reporting on this since it first uh, came about, since my knowledge of it first first came about, and I have had multiple... Uh, lawyers who, administrative law lawyers and former DOA judges who said that they were surprised that there were not, you know, 20 to 30 applicants for this position from just just in town. And usually when that happens, the suspicion is the wheels are already greased. The uh, the uh, the biscuit was already baked, I think, I think as, as one person said it. I got you. And speaking of baking biscuits, final thing here, Scott Israel, former sheriff of Broward County, Removed by Ron DeSantis in January by executive order, but the Senate special master, former state senator Dudley Goodlett, has issued a report saying the governor's executive order did not have sufficient grounds to justify removal, and he should be reinstated. Now, we've got a special session coming in October. I think it's the 21st to the 25th. It is October, one of the committee weeks. Yeah. The, the special session, which is just the Senate, will be held during one of the previously scheduled committee weeks. Right, so they don't have to have a new session. They were already going to be here anyway. Correct. Yeah. So if you were a betting man, would you be betting on Scott Israel right now? That's a hard one. Um, I, I Again, I think the biscuit may be baked on that one. I don't, I don't know. I, I, this is just a gut feeling that he has enough votes to be reinstated. If I were to bet, I might think that he, there, there's enough votes for him to be removed permanently um, from his current suspension is, I guess, is what it really is. I got you. So you, that sounds like you're thinking this will be a partisan decision. I think it may well be, and I, th I think it's not going to go his way. 
Gotcha. I think he's going to wind up not being the Broward Sheriff, and uh, Gregory Tony, who is currently acting as Sheriff in Broward County, is going to get that job. And in the meantime, Scott Israel will continue to run for Sheriff, what is it, next year? Uh, I think so. I think so. I don't know. You might be right. All right. Our guest today on Sunrise has been Jim Rossica, journalist, attorney, all-around wise guy for Florida politics. Thanks for Thank joining us, Thank you very much. And full disclosure, I am not a Florida attorney. I am a Pennsylvania. I'm a Philadelphia lawyer. Ooh. I like that better. I know. Yeah, you can tell the Florida bar where to go. Eggs, and I do often. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. Thank you. On the agenda today, Orlando attorney John Morgan, also known as hashtag pot daddy on Twitter, will deliver a speech to the Tampa Tiger Bay Club. That's at 12 noon at the Cuban Club in Tampa. It is BYOP. And State Representative Geraldine Thompson will hold a free paper shredding event for her constituents today. She's also using that event to collect supplies for hurricane relief efforts in the Bahamas. That's from 1130 in the morning to 130 in the afternoon at Town Hall in Windermere. And time now for an update on Florida Man. Would you believe a naked fight club outside at Chick-fil-A? A Florida man is accused of challenging people to fight outside the restaurant in Jacksonville and ordering them to stare at his genitals. 30-year-old Corey Hatzel was arrested after witnesses reported he stripped off his clothes, chased a man on a bicycle, daring him to fight, and yelled at witnesses to, well, get a gander at his groin. And a Florida woman named Crystal has been arrested for meth, and it happened just a few hours after her older sister was busted for the same crime in another part of the same town. The Orlando Sentinel reports 21-year-old Crystal Barnes was caught with methamphetamine in Mulberry. Her sister, 22-year-old Ruby Barnes, had been arrested three hours earlier after a deputy spotted her in a car that had been reported stolen. Big Sis is charged with possession of meth and paraphernalia. That's it for this edition of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg reporting in Tallahassee for Florida Politics. Join us again on Monday.